Welcome to The Publisher Perspective. I'm James Pringle from Suggestive. I'm your host for the series. Today, we're delighted to have Owen Wyatt, Managing Director of The Stylist Group. Owen has a vast experience in the media space, having worked with Sky, Reuters, Base 79 and CNN before joining The Stylist Group. Um, so welcome, Owen. Good to be here. Thanks, James. Thoroughly, thoroughly impressed by all of your equipment here. <laughs> it's probably the most impressive microphone I've ever seen in all my years in broadcasting. Thank you. I want it. I, I want to buy one, even though I'll probably never use it. Um, today we're going to discuss uh, life at the sharp end. Why are we going to discuss life at the sharp end? Because that's where I am, and that's most certainly where you are, isn't it? It is. Well, uh, we, we came up with that theme about... 40 seconds ago because yesterday we were at a publisher's sort of lunch and learn weren't we yeah. and I noticed that I mean there was people there from Dennis there was people there from IDG um, myself the person who got the most questions was you because your product suggestive is at the sharp end of one of the biggest problems that all of those companies faced which is how to make money out of video on their sites and, and then I did notice that, that what Stylist is trying to do, which is continue to, to deliver a profitable print product for free and hand it out all over the country, does attract a lot of attention. So I think both of us are at a, sort of a really, really tough but very exciting side of our sector. I think we should just... True. At one point it felt like, an, like a sort of an audience for James Pringle. Well, it would be better if there was... People asking me for business. But, <laughs> but, uh, that will come. That'll questions come. is fine for now. Okay, um, so we'll, let's start with the quick fire yeah, stuff that we usually do. Yeah. So, firstly, um, what's your favourite app in the world? Sofa Score, and this right. has been an amazing. It's S O F A Score. Yeah, and it. Yeah. I guess it's for the armchair football fan. I guess because it's the perfect football second screen. See, the World uh, Cup was brilliant. But yeah. in terms of European competition, this was as good as the Liverpool comeback um, oh, against yeah. AC Milan. It was just a phenomenal week. Add SofaScore. If you like data and stats, that is it. So like in real time during a game, you can see pass accuracy, areas of the pitch covered. Then let's say you're in the early rounds of the, um, the Europa League. Um, um, you know, a competition where I lived in Seville had some amazing memories of the UEFA Cup and then Fulham my team had a great run in it sometimes you get drawn against a team and you're like who's that guy Sofa School so you can click see that player's transfer history how, how many, what his pass accuracy percentages but you suddenly become like I went to a family gathering the other day and they were like when did you become Stato and it's because <laughs> Sofa Score is it it gives you everything um, and I, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of an obsessive about stats and, and, and data in general um, but in particular I love it in sport yeah. so I've you know, probably watched the film Moneyball about you know 300 times um, I just love it it's amazing I yeah. love it and so it's just like so Sofa Score it allows you to pretend to be a, a sort of armchair Billy Bean every now and again so where can football go next I mean this week in football happened at a perfect time because you were starting to hear things like there's too much football on TV everything's got a bit oversaturated there was stuff surfacing around that um, and then you have a week like this and actually I think it was really a great week for BT because I think BT have had a bit of a hard time since you know, in terms of press coverage, since they took on the Champions League, obviously the viewing figures didn't quite meet initial expectations. But what I love about what they've done, particularly with rugby, which is 
you know, um, I, I played a bit of rugby when I was younger, I've got back into it um, as I've had kids. They invested in rugby, not just on the broadcast front, but also digitally. They ran a really good podcast for a while. Their social feeds are brilliant. I mean, BT Sport Social is, is excellent. And it was like a win for them as well it was for all of us as fans this week, I think. And I was, I was glad to see it because they've made that investment and I think they should stick at it because they're doing a brilliant job broadcasting it. I agree, but they've also made clever partnerships in terms of people like James Haskell in rugby, who's built up a profile. And Haskell's um, been part of a, part, a Joe Media partnership. Yeah, um, they also did well. And with I, was, that. I was judging that was the Guinness podcast. Yeah, I was yeah. judged. I judged um, awards for the drums, some digital awards recently, and they won. Um, I think it was best branded content collaboration. You know, sometimes with branded content, which is another thing on on publishers' minds a lot, um, the answer is simple, and that. That, that piece of work that Joe have done for rugby is very, very simple, but unbelievably effective. You know, even the fact that they put the Guinness glasses on the table, you know, that they haven't really gone to any great lengths to think of very subtle brand integration. But as rugby fans, we, we know what it yeah. is. We know it's ad funded and, and it, it just, it plays along. Um, and yeah, so that's, this is what podcasts do, isn't it? We started off talking about SofaScore and now we're talking about branded content on Joe Media. Yeah. I mean, we've gone completely off topic. And but anyone listening who's thinking, game. this guy talks a lot. <laughs> but that's what we want to do. I do. So, um, all right. Okay, well, so then let's see where we go with the next one. So, favourite TV ad? Favourite TV ad of all time is Honda's Dream, the Impossible Dream ad. And there, there are a few different versions of it that you can find on YouTube now. But I like the full-length version. It's like a kind of a, a guy, bald head and a moustache, um, wearing overalls, starts on a tiny Honda moped. He manages to shift from like a, uh, a balloon to a, a jet airplane and, and off he goes. But, it, but the, the one that I like is one where he ends in what is a personal ambition of mine to one day own an outdoor jacuzzi with a view love them so he, he finishes up he's dreaming the impossible dream he's got on all these cars and, and, and different and different um, modes of transport and finishes up in a really cool looking place in the countryside um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a nice hot tub very good ad I love it could watch it again and again and again yeah um, but it's a proper story that's why probably it's so good because um, it does take you on that journey it, yeah it takes you on a journey it stirs emotion. It's a piece of music that's almost impossible not to like. And I think that it's sort of just like ambition and technology and horizons all captured up into this one brilliant piece of creative. I think that so many of us living in cities and I think the whole relationship between transport and cities is like in the news more than ever at the moment. I mean, you and I were talking about it yesterday um, with air pollution and so on and so on. It's like... We have some wild conversations. Everyone, everyone wants to get out. I mean, I, I saw the mayor on, he was on LBC or something today, I, I noticed. This wow. thing about escapism also plays into that ad. So it's like a vehicle to take you out of something into something. I liked it a lot. Yeah. But the car manufacturer that's absolutely killing it at the moment in terms of sales, who I think have done one of the smartest sponsorships in the UK in recent years, is, uh, is Volvo. Because they've not just done good advertising, brand building, um, basically getting away from thinking of Volvo as like a sort of tired estate car, um, 
in the suburban garden and they've made it into something a lot more high end. But also they've backed it up by making brilliant products. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's reflected very well in their sales numbers. Like so yeah. many car manufacturers now um, um, are finding it really difficult. But Volvo have got the right mix of marketing and product mastery and they're, they're doing brilliantly well. So like it, it's really hard to it's really hard to sort of capture um, consumer sentiment around something like the emission scandal. Um, but I think something that's really interesting at the moment is the relationship between brands, advertising and trust. You know, yeah. I look at one of our biggest advertisers is John Lewis, absolutely you know, phenomenal brand, um, brilliant consumer loyalty. And so what we help them with um, is, is just keeping that connectivity between our consumer, their customer and trust which I think is really, really important in such a fragmented consumer landscape where everyone wants everything to be delivered now. Absolutely. You know, it's like, well, what am I getting? Where is it from? It's, it's interesting. But I think Vol- Volvo have, have seized their moment, but their partnership with Sky Atlantic is, is one of my favourite sort of brand integrations on yeah. television recently. I would, I would completely agree. Um, okay, so let's move on to Stylist. Um, what's the best thing about being a publisher at the moment I think the best thing about stylist is the way that every month I work here it surprises me if someone had said to me that we would be able to do an awards like we did earlier this year we, we, we hosted an awards called the remarkable women awards um, just just down the road here in London and we know what awards ceremonies can be like in the media industry it's a bit of a personal gripe of mine, actually, when you have one and people go up and get awards and they're just up and down, up and down, up and down. There's no reflection on what they've actually done or achieved. It, it can feel a bit conveyor belty. Yeah. And I turned up at the Remarkable Women Awards after we had secured a, most, a brilliant partner, Philosophy, as like a headline sponsor for an event that had never happened. That surprised me. So style is surprising me commercially, just in the pull that it had. Um, and then I turned up at this event and you've got people like Jodie Comer, who we awarded her first ever award to for her, for her acting um, brilliance, um, stepping up on stage and taking 10 minutes to thank Stylist for putting women on its covers since it came into people's lives, um, to thank Stylist for championing gender equality uh, and the work of women in entertainment and just meaning it. Yeah, and that that so listening to that, I was like, there is one of our fans who now happens to be one of the most influential young actresses in the world. You take that, and then you times it by the two point five million who are now spending time with us every month, and you've got pretty explosive growth since we started really investing in this business. That yeah, I'm an optimist, I'm a positive person, but has even surprised me, and I think. Every couple of weeks, something happens here that just makes me step back and go, this is an absolute power brand. And I think that if, if a brand like this, with a, with a model around advertising such as the one we have, um, can't make it work, then it's going to be very difficult for lots of others in the same, in the same sector. And what I'm seeing is really pleasing. I mean, we've, we've changed the revenue mix of the company dramatically. So moving away from dependence in print display to creative solutions as a core revenue driver. Really interested at the beginning of the year to see all the mood music around companies like BuzzFeed 
where Stylist is continuing into double digit growth in all of that kind of creative work. Um, that's been an investment that's really paying off for us. So we created a, a brand studio called Family. Um, and some of the most pleasing work that we've done through that is actually for brands that, again, surprised me in their in what they were and what we were able to do for them. So we won an award for a piece of branded content we created about contact lenses for AccuView. Pretty hard starting point subject matter. Yeah. Um, but because of what Stylist is and the kind of creativity we have here, and because of our understanding of how to talk to our audience, um, we made a couple of videos that went absolutely viral and unlocked the door to many other deals. So it's, I think the best thing about Stylist is the people that are here from top to bottom are brilliant. DC Thompson are amazing owners, very supportive. Um, they take a long view, um, but also they're, they're very classy people who create a great culture. Um, but I think for me day to day, talking to you about it, the thing that I like the most is the surprise of, yeah. of the power of it. And how much would you describe of what you've done over the last sort of 12 months? Would you describe as reinventing the model versus just doubling down on your strengths or is it a hybrid because they are sort of different things um some publishers are diversifying revenue by doing completely different things so where do you see it is it reinventing or is it doubling down on strength i think that we always had um, the ability to create print advertorials for brands who wanted to go down that route the content route rather than the display route but i think that when you look at the way that we operate now, the kind of work that we're able to deliver, the way that we use data to justify what we've done and what we were about to do, it doesn't feel like doubling down. You know, the, the, the workflow and the cost and just the whole business practice around creating a one-page advertorial compared to doing a three-video, 15-digital article, um, you know, animated, um, you know, GIF, powered you you name it piece of work for an advertiser that doesn't just go on your platform but goes all across all of the social media is pretty much a completely different ball game so yeah. it's like did that require new talent as well yeah it, it required a massive investment in talent in in not just creative talent i think about a guy called alex stanhope who joined us who who runs all of the project process that that agency does and I think he was one of the transformational hires that we made because it's all well and good to go and win a contract for a million quid to create some some brilliant stuff for an advertiser but if you're making it an appalling margin it's not going to do anything for you so you have to look at that as a really really stringent piece of business and and him and others that we've brought in have done that and then the team that works for him also makes sure that when you're doing a piece of work like that no one has any headaches because that was when branded content for digital really kicked in, that was a problem, was doing a piece of work and it just being a headache for everyone, for the media agency, for the client. Because it, it wasn't focus. Well, no, because... It was a side because, piece. Because, yeah, I think also because a lot of companies tried to dip their toe. So they're like, yeah, we do this now. Uh, we've got two people and then we're going to outsource it all to freelancers and it's all going to be delayed and there's going to be poor communication throughout and it's going to be a mess that gave a bad name to what this stuff can do. Yeah. Um, whereas because of the way we're structured and because of our ownership, we were able to make a proper investment and really see what worked and didn't work. Um, and now over 50% of our revenues are um, from branded content and 
we did almost a million in incremental revenue in print through those kind of executions. So all signs point to we're making a success of it. That's another thing. I, I, five, six years ago, when we did Base 79 and we started to do this stuff on YouTube, it, it didn't seem to me like the best brilliant writers were that keen on pursuing a career creating content for advertisers. You know, I've heard you know stories about more straight news organisations where, of course, the journalists there just don't want to touch it and don't want to get involved for, for various ethical reasons, but as well as sort of it's just sort of looked down upon as a sort of not, not as valid a piece of journalism. Yeah. For me, if you can pull off getting a million people to read a, an article you've written about an advertiser's product or brand message, you've got skills. Yeah. And we've got a few of those here who I very, very keenly take to meetings all over the market because people want to know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, say you're an advertiser, you want to create five articles about your products and get people to read them on social media. If you haven't got someone thinking about the headline, the image, you know, how you're going to get the call to action to get people to do stuff and try and do it on your own, it's going to be extremely hard because consumers are so aware of all this. So you're experts in content. So yeah, and it's naturally, like, and you're experts in your own audience. I was just in a meeting where we were talking about Stylist Loves, which is a new email product that we're launching next week. Um, and I was looking at that database size and thinking, they're our most valuable audience. They're people that have opted in to hearing about what we recommend. How more powerful could you get for an advertiser than that? Yeah. It's another one of those exciting things. Then, then you run the email and you see that 70% of people are opening our competition's emails and clicking through to them. And you're like, oh, that's good. That works. That's what I mean about stylists. Yeah. How much how much further can you take it? How much deeper a relationship? I think it, I think it can be absolute. The stylist can be an absolute monster. I think if we've gone from where we were to three and a half million audience in the space of eighteen months, um, if we're winning awards for video for brands when we didn't create video eighteen months ago, if we're doing all this stuff, it can be absolutely enormous. And there's various different routes to getting there. You know, we we we, we sort of had a meeting about remember must have been last summer and we were like well why don't we look at us i mean, I wonder how many people we can get reading with a very minimal investment and i think i saw something come through to me a couple of days ago it was like seven hundred thousand women in america read stylist on their phone last month um and we've just been experimenting that scratches the surface it just right? scratches the yeah. surface and then and then i saw on you know you get people on twitter saying oh because because publishing in america is such a great thing to be going after I, I sort of like, yeah, but I don't think anything that you see here in this company is, is what I would call traditional publishing. It's, it's, it's going to be you know, a bit of a unicorn in, in print. If you pick up our beauty special that's coming up in, a, in the next few weeks, there's 40% more revenue in that print product than there was this time last year. Yeah. Um, we've got clients framing our work and hanging it in there offices there's a retailer that's that's put our work on display you know i know full well what the what the picture looks like for other magazines because i went through it myself we all went through it here when we had to make decisions about what to do with shortlist magazine um but when you look at what we've got here with stylist for me um there is no reason why the stylist group and its products and properties that will grow and expand over the years shouldn't be the most um, influential um, brand for women in this country in media, no doubt about it.
but numbers don't lie. And that comm score ranking where you've got double the digital audience of Vogue from a brand that was a free magazine, that's got to give you some confidence now. And how much did the live event with 38,000 people turning up give you confidence? Because that was pretty monumental, wasn't it? Yeah, that and also, I mean, like, I've been really, really lucky. I've had a very, very interesting career, um, you know, and my wife was dancing around the kitchen this morning with the kids listening to the theme from the 2010 World Cup. I think they'd, they'd been at Chessington and they'd heard it. And, 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 I, and I thought to myself, my God, is it really almost 10 years? I was sports editor for Reuters at that event and I remember driving up to it and thinking, wow, like the Soccer City, you know, journalists all over, you know, I, I've, I've been very privileged in living through things that I dreamt about doing as a kid in my career. When I drove towards Olympia, when the first stylist, uh, I attended my first stylist live, um, it was definitely one of the proudest moments of my career. But also I just almost couldn't believe it. Because you see the magazines going out, you see the articles trending, the videos getting read. Um, you know, one of the things I also love about the brand is when I look on mobile, just at the kind of advertisers that are bidding for our, to be in our space. So these things are great, but then to go to bricks and mortar and see these women just getting behind the brand, listening to talks, laughing, enjoying, you know, moments with friends and family, just, just basically living a celebration of what it is. It again gives you confidence because most publishers listening to this or people in our line of work you know you we're living in a time and through a period where it, it's been full of challenges namely you know a lot of the digital revenue that you can get up for grabs being swallowed up by google and facebook we, we know what the challenges are but we also know what you can do but you only know it if you do it yeah so new scientist live that looks amazing that's a, a subscription-based print magazine that's chucking in an event that's owning the conversation about basically the future of the planet. Yeah. But you've got to believe it. I think you've got to have confidence to pull off the, to make it a business as well. So you guys have done some really great things with events and the branded content and that's sort of changed the outlook of the business recently. Who else is doing some great things at the moment? And that could be across events or it could be across anything. Who do you think's really I just think like, boundaries? I think in the, in the UK media market, global radio their acquisition strategy is spot on yeah you can't really <laughs> argue with what they're doing and um and also just like Look. i think netflix is something that's asked the question of everyone in that space like at&t time warner disney launching a dream now a brand like global just like everyone else has had digital ask questions of its model and they've had to answer it. They've done that through technology and now they've not stood still, they've gone right, bang, bang, let's go after these things, events, um, out of home. Let's yeah. just be big and they've made their moves. And I, and I, I like that too. I like, I like to see businesses in this sector whether with journalism and content involved making moves. Um, and they've certainly done it. And, and to what extent do you think that media businesses may become just that media businesses across every vertical. I mean, we used to have print and radio and broadcast sort of almost quite separated out. Mm. And now everyone sort of has to do a bit of everything to 
get that diversification into their business model. So is yeah. that going to happen yeah. for everyone? It's, div- it's diversification into their business model, um, but you can't dip your toe in anything because the, the sort of elephant in the room, and it's like an unsaid said, is that is your core revenue stream that you've built your business on in decline and under attack like you wouldn't believe? That's the first question. If it is, you're going you're gonna to have to do something. You can either manage decline. You can go, right, we can, we can, we can squeeze out some profit here and just let it, let it steadily drift away. Or you can go, right, we're going to have to do something radical. And I think that what, what Global and what, what they've done is they've gone, let's answer the data question and let's, let's have a good answer to that. And let's use technology to reach more of a fan base. They've done that. And then they've gone, right, how do we really kick this into another gear so that we are just on every plan? Yeah. Out of home was pretty flat throughout digital to taking into their, yeah. to, you know, into coming into the world. They've also, out of home's also sort of starting to show. It's the timing as well yeah, of that yeah. acquisition with, with out of home becoming more addressable and yeah. video based and digital. Yeah. And I like the way that when something like that happens also now that you, that the media coverage you get of it is is asking questions about privacy too. So like I read the piece about the, the Westfield, it seemed to be mocked up to be a Westfield screen and it was saying it can tell your age and your mood and it's really having a look at you, you know, I, I don't know how accurate that is if, if that's what's going on, but, but it's good that yes, you can make make an acquisition you can make investment in technology but i also like the way that now when media companies are doing things um not just facebook google and others um that there's a there's a level of scrutiny applied to it too but yeah i think i think global's acquisition strategy is i i I admire not just its precision but its pace yeah because i think the other thing is you look at disney announcing their their streaming product they're like gearing up and going You, you can't really wait three or four quarters anymore in this industry because it no. moves so fast I like them I've, I've in terms of like the kind of undervalued asset that's just kicking it literally knocking it out of the park Washington Post as an ex-journalist you know Watergate um, one of the most important moments in journalistic history a brand you, you know you sort of sat there I remember like I remember covering stories about the credit crunch in 2008 um and even back that far, the, 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 the sort of, what's it called? The merchants of doom about the death of journalism weren't quite as noisy as they did become then after 2010, 2012. And so now to sit there as, a, as an ex-journalist and go, Washington Post are killing it. They've not just built a subscription product. They licensed their CMS and all these other things in a really smart yeah. way. And then also, to be fair, I like um, Mark Thompson and his the job they're doing at the New York Times, the share price growth they've experienced. It's like, yeah, because the one thing that's remained consistent through all of this disruptive journey is, um, is consumers demand for quality content it hasn't changed. Yeah. People's need to be entertained, to be informed. That hasn't changed, but as you put so eloquently yesterday, you, you've got that platform question at the top of everything. Yeah. The last company that I think is, is going to make enormous waves and has just done something completely phenomenal in a really interesting space is a company called Real Vision, yeah. um, which was founded by, um, I think, a guy called Raoul Powell and Damien Horner. 
um, um, and Damien's an ex-creative agency um, advertising specialist and Raul um, is an ex-hedge fund trader um, and they have built a behind the paywall 100% video um, financial news experience that is just unparalleled for me um, and to do it as they did um, with, with, with their background and connectivity and build something that is like nothing else is just a phenomenal achievement and, and what I love about what they did was imagine you were going to start a media company tomorrow well what would you do video for a start yeah. mobile for a start yeah. paywall for a start and then if you could you'd go after ultra high net worth audience because as and when you needed to and you found the right route to your advertising prices would be huge yeah um and they just get the best names but is, have they shown that actually the access the, the barrier to creating content is is not the problem it's the accessibility to the the individuals or the arenas that you can create that content in yeah so like just like right now we're making a podcast you were saying like yeah oh, i was like really is this it? yeah but it's just a microphone and yeah. that's it um yeah. But I have the accessibility to you as a client of Suggestive, where I've invited you on, and that's the that's the tricky bit is that having that accessibility and real vision have nailed that because of their black book rather than you know a media guy. Yeah, but also do you know do you know something like that's business? You play to your strengths. So their their strength was their their understanding of financial markets and also their, their black book of contacts. But you show me a VC-funded media company that doesn't have investors that can open a black book. You know, they all do, and that's part of it. But, but actually, to, to counter what you said a little bit, if you, I could name a few um, well-established media companies that started off with print at their core, that have dipped their toe into video and made some pretty boring stuff. And as yeah. a consequence, haven't got a video business which is lamentable given what they are um but 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 it takes some guts to deal with the costs of video yeah and it take and it also requires very skilled salespeople to, to, to create and execute ideas on it so that that's what yeah. i love about what they've done they've gone yep this is going to be expensive but this is what we're going to do and there was a brilliant feature about them in the new york times this guys like people have started their own funds from nothing using just information and learning they've had from real vision it's amazing it's cool it's a great example of how to build a brand too so i just think yeah lots i love obviously and, and i'm definitely proving that i can talk a lot but yeah this is a podcast that's what i'm supposed to do <laughs> could they ever launch their own fund do you think that's on their roadmap like could why you know just what? put money into their fund because i trust them because of You'll have you'll have you'll, you'll have to get them onto the next podcast <laughs> and ask them. All right. There's lots of publishers all doing lots of different things, but if there was one thing you could get media businesses to collaborate on, unite on, come together around, what do you think that should be or could be? I think it's a really interesting question. I think that what what fundamentally me, media creates a lot of well healthy but very brutal competition like take the branded content space right we'll get briefed out for something alongside 20 other people 
Totally. 20. Oh, 20. Yeah, easy. Like, we just did finish a deal this week where we're partnering with Spotify and we've won a bit of business. Great. I like partnering with media companies because we're big, but we're not the biggest. You can mix it in and do it. But if you'd asked me 18 months ago, Stylist is a free print business would be partnering with Spotify to win a branded content deal I'd have probably said well hopefully but wow that's going to be hard to do um, but but then let's say let's take us we are going toe-to-toe with the same people again 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 and it is brutal it, it's a fight for survival and for growth so getting media companies to collaborate is unbelievably difficult I think I take my hat off to, to anyone involved in in the things like the ozone project and things like that who were trying to get them to do it because day to day the reality is whether it's on impressions on programmatic or big million pound branded content deals we are up against each other and we're not all loaned by the same people at the moment yeah. Media is also a very noisy business. Just listen to me yabbering on here on this podcast, right? (laughs) And I think that what a a lot of us in the industry, especially connected to journalism, do is we all do, we we have fairly similar um, pillars of things that we are looking to champion, brand safety being one of them. It's huge for me. At the beginning of Instagram TV, we took Stylist off Instagram TV for, for a variety of reasons, but, but because I wasn't quite sure that the brand would be appearing and the content we're creating appearing in a brand-safe environment for us, let alone for, for advertisers. You know, I've seen the products improve. We're back on there now. You know, we're constantly testing and learning with these things. But what we can guarantee to brands like Apple, who are with us, are spending on display with us at the moment, is that their brand will not appear next to anything inappropriate, rude, inflammatory etc it is a brand safe environment and I am seeing the yield for display reflecting a move from mass spray and prey display buying to much more selective decisions being made by agencies and by brands about where their where their pre-roll or their their digital display goes that's good if you've got someone like me making noise about it and then people much more important and influential than me making noise about it then you're working together even though it's not really a very formal setting. We yeah. compete toe-to-toe. It is, it is just like that. At CNN, um, we had a thing with Reuters and a few other people. Pangea. Pangea. And it's like, then. yeah, but you're still trying to, at the end, then at the end of it, you're just still trying to win the money versus them. Yeah. And then you get in these meetings where it's like, oh, how are you getting on with so-and-so? Oh, well, well no. I can't tell you about that. Yeah. Uh, what, what have you got about No, can't tell you about that. And then you're like, oh, well, not a partnership, is it? So brand safety is the, is the one, but really, because that's something that the sort of trusted media brands mm. is brand one sa- of the brand differentiators. Safety, so. Brand safety is one. And also it's like, you know, like a good friend of mine, Emma winchurch Beal. she's head of um, sales, international sales director of the Washington Post. And what does she do all the time? She talks about consumer demand and interaction with quality journalism and when she talks about it someone else talks about it and then someone else talks about it because pretty much people associate like that the association with journalism newspapers and a decline is sort of out there and in a market like advertising where it's so much driven on confidence and what's what's cool and what's growing and it's it's, it's a confidence based buying as much as anything if you're on the back foot you're not going to get there so the more people like Emma um, that are out there sort of saying we're going from A to B really fast and then we're going to go to you know then that it's that cumulative effect yeah 
that said, I do think that a, there's a there's room for more candor on 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 the kind of panel discussions that come up again and again. Uh, you know, people like a bit of reality mixed in with front foot confidence. I think we yeah. could do better at that. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, we could talk all day. We could. We literally we could. could. We could. Um, we sometimes do. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to ask if you can leave us with a final thought about the media space. I saw today um, uh, an article and read about the Liberal Democrats launching their Euro election manifesto, um, where they have selected bollocks to Brexit as their slogan and put it on to um, all of their leaflets and so on. I think there's different toned down versions that people can use around the country. And I saw one of the smartest people I know in the business, Martin Lote, who, who's a very experienced PR um, specialist. Uh, in the he posted on LinkedIn, um, not a political statement, but here is a brilliant example of being brave when you're the third biggest in your sector and like I like his observation but I also like the fact that what we're seeing in politics in the last round of elections and what I think we might see the Liberal Democrats achieve in the next um, uh, in the European elections is a victory for a consistent message you know I think that communications and journalism and media is now more fragmented than it's ever been. It's going to keep getting more and more fragmented um, as, as we go along. Um, you know, we were talking about voice search, everything yesterday. It's just going to keep going, right? So if you are something, whether it's a brand, whether it's a media owner, whether it's a political organization, a clear, consistent message is so vitally important. And I think you rewind 18 months, two years ago. I, I'm a big fan of This Week, the, the BBC show on a Thursday night. I mean, the Liberal Democrats were just being like ridiculed, basically. They'd been written off. It was like, you're irrelevant. But in amongst that group, there was one or two people, Tom Brake being one who's their Brexit spokesman, who just kept saying the same simple, consistent message. And you look at what they achieved... In the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the local elections that happen. Yeah. Now, I just wonder whether they might put, surprise everyone in that. And again, just like Martin, I'm not going to talk about my politics on, on a podcast or on LinkedIn, but I do, I do love it. You respect that. I do love yeah. a brave, simple message because, um, you know, the, that theme of being, it, 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 it's put them on the front foot, which is where any of us looking to succeed in anything these days need to be. Awesome. I mean, thank you so much for coming on. Um, loads of really interesting stuff there. And uh, so, yeah, big thank you. Absolute pleasure.